What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse. It's going to be Greg and I, as always, today. We're going to kind of hit on some Ohio State University news, Cincinnati Football University news. We're going to talk about the Bengals and their push in the playoffs. Greg's going to kind of give us an update on the lockout and how that's affecting the Reds and the newly named Guardians. And then we're going to kind of close off the episode talking about uh, the Cavs and whether or not we think anybody deserves to uh, be on the All-Star team. So to start off, I did want to get Greg's opinion on the coaching turnover that happened on the defensive side of the ball with Ohio State, and if he thinks that that's going to help with our defensive woes. I think with the hiring of Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State is a great, great, great addition. And Oklahoma State tried to keep him, but they just got outbid by Ohio State. Uh, I This is a historic signing for for them for Ohio State uh he's making 5.7 million over three year span averaging 1.9 million a year that's the highest paid assistant coach in the history of the Buckeye program the thing is now what what they're going to run into is they're going to have a recruiting problem because there's going to be a lot of guys that maybe were recruited by the old defensive coordinator and other additional coaches that got hired i mean we've got justin fry perry Elano, tim walton um they can bring some talented players but it's just a matter of how long that's going to be until that actually happens and once they get those guys in what they can do to maximize the potential so i think it's a great thing it's a good hiring and i'm i'm happy with it i'll go with it yeah i, I definitely agree i think when you unfortunately when you look at the uh our our defense was ranked I believe it was 60th. Yes, 60th in the in total defense in the nation. Now, when you look at the Jim Knowles-led defense from Oklahoma State, they were fifth ranked in total defense in the nation. So you're kind of hoping that that's going to be a huge improvement on that side. Obviously, I think that Ryan Day kind of tried to give the, give the play calling duties over to, I don't want to call them support staff, but but guys who were position, there you go, that's a better word, position coaches, you know, whether you talk about Kerry Combs or his assistant, And I just think that, you know, with somebody who is really known for, you know, putting a good defense on the field and getting the most out of their guys, because I don't think Oklahoma State had a lot of, you know, four or five star guys. They were getting it done with, you know, mostly probably three and four star guys. So which I think is where Ohio State is in the recruiting anyway on the defensive side of the ball, which is ridiculous when you think about who they've had come and go. And then when you talk about bringing in Perry Eliano, who was the um, cornerbacks coach at the University of Cincinnati, and we kind of see where all of their cornerbacks are going to go in the draft this year. I think most of them are going to go in the first three or four rounds. And then when you bring in Tim Walton, who has, you know, not only played for Ohio State in the past in 92 and 93 as a pretty decent cornerback, but he has been a defensive back coach on pretty much almost every level now. So I think that him coming from the Jags and bringing a little bit more of that professional development that goes into it and that knowledge that comes with it too, I think that he'll be able to help develop that secondary and bring it back to, you know what I mean, DBU of what we used to be. I mean, think about all the guys that have, you know, come and gone from Ohio State. And then obviously they they do keep Larry Johnson, the D-line coach. I don't think the D-line has really been the issue over the past couple of years, but I think that, you know, in the next couple of years, we'll probably see that change as well. You know, kind of talking about all this, you know, coaching turnover, I'm interested in what your opinion is on Ryan Day moving to the NFL. Now, I'd like to get your over under. I'm going to put it at three more seasons as a as the head coach of Ohio State. Are you going to go with the over or the under on that? 
I think it has to do with want and money. And I think that neither of those things are going to be what he wants. So I, I'm going to take the over on it that I, I just don't think he's going to want to go because he's had NFL style experience. He played, uh, he was the quarterback's coach for the 49ers from 2015 to 16. And they had a record of like nine and 34 under his uh, three years or so with the 49ers. So maybe that put a sour taste in his mouth. And when it comes to the the money, the salary range for college football is, is going up. Uh, you know, you've got uh, coaches like Mel Tucker and James Franklin that are making, you know, almost 10 mil a year. So they made 6.5 million in 2001 or 2021. He's going to make 7.6 mil as part of his contract extension this year that uh, he signed through 2026. So is he underpaid? Yes. Um, but he's ranked, I think, ninth nationally when it comes to the the pay of a coach in uh, in the NCAA when it comes to football. I think the only other guy that's underpaid or that like that makes less than he does that got their team to, you know, the, the college football playoffs was Jim Harbaugh, and that's because I mean he he crapped the bed in 2020 season with Michigan, so. Um, I think with the 34 and four record day has a clear success as a head coach. He's, you know, national title uh, is the only thing that's not on his, his resume. He's won the big 10, uh, you know, he's gone to playoff seasons, CFP playoff game uh, a year ago. I, I, I just don't see him going anywhere. I don't think lucratively wise it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And like I said, I think with his tenure with the 49ers, it's, it's a maybe not, the best experience he had. And so he doesn't want to make that jump until he's completely satisfied with his ability to uh, coach on that level. I think he'll make the move eventually. I think unfortunately for every coach, there's just an itch that needs to be scratched. And I think once you're a head coach at the collegiate level, it's you, you kind of want, I don't know if I would call it an opportunity, but you want to take on the challenge of the NFL because it's just, it's different. It's something new, but I'm going to put the, I'm going to, I'll put, I put my money on the over. I think that he spends at least five more years, you know, five more seasons, I should say as the head coach at Ohio state. And I think he's very successful throughout that time. I hope that a national championship or two or three or four, maybe even five comes over those years. You know what I mean? Obviously we all hope that, but I do think that he's going to be successful regardless, you know, multiple big 10 championships, you know, multiple bowl game wins, those kinds of things. But I just think that right now nobody's going to hire a college head coach right now in the NFL because I think Urban Meyer kind of ruined it for everybody. Um, Obviously, when Bill O'Brien was hired to the Texans, I think that he got so much leeway there because they allowed him to be the general manager as well. And he was kind of team building. So they were trying to figure out what he could do. But then once he kind of sabotaged the whole team, <laughs> um, <laughs> they were like, oh, OK, bye. And then Jacksonville gave Urban Meyer the shot. And obviously Urban Meyer did what he did. But I just think that people are going to kind of cool it on the you know head coaches from college. But I do I do think over the next, you know, within the next four or five years, I think, you know, the head coach from Notre Dame, he's a really young, talented head coach. I think his name's going to come up. And I think Ryan Day's name is going to continue to come up from guys that are going to come from college. Um, I know that we're getting reports that Harbaugh is eyeing the Raiders job, which would be interesting. And so maybe that's the next guy that kind of comes from that. But he's not really a college guy. He just kind of took that job at Michigan, I think, to kind of, you know, get a paycheck and fill some time. 
but I, I will I will say I'll agree with you. I think it's the over, but I just don't think I don't think he's going to be there for as long as everybody thinks he is. I think he'll eventually move on to the uh, to the NFL. But kind of talking about another college team that we had that was in the playoffs. I wouldn't say that they lost bad to Alabama. I think they played them really hard. I just think that they ran out of gas there towards the end, and that's and that's unfortunate. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to keep up with a team like that if you're not going to be able to put points on the board. So I guess, you know, my first question would be, do you think that Luke Fickle can keep Cincinnati good enough to, you know, compete for the playoffs every year? And then do you think even if they're good enough to be in the playoffs every year that the committee will ever give them another chance until they join the Big 12 in 2020? I mean, I think it's a yes to both of those questions. I think they're good enough, and I think that they're going to get a lot more um, – good talent that's going to come to Cincinnati because obviously he's shown that he's a good coach and uh, he's got a lot of good repertoire among his players. And it's, you know, I I looked that up today and then, and a lot of them talk very highly of him as a coach. So uh, I think that even if until they get to 2024, I think that they can't, the committees can't keep them away from the fact that if they go undefeated and like I said, even this year, we talked about it. If they had some, they had to have a couple key wins and some some substantial wins, and they did, and that allowed them to get considered for it. Um, so I, I think that when this comes, you know, up next year and the year after that and the year after that, that it's going to be a process where they're still going to have to look at them. You know, a lot of people say that that they didn't belong, that they just ran into Alabama. And the people that say that they didn't belong, they're wrong. You know, they got overwhelmed. They got a little bit outclassed, maybe a little bit outplayed, but they didn't get embarrassed. They didn't get run over. They trailed by two scores at halftime, had a number of opportunities thanks to gritty defense. Uh, they got back, you know, to try to get back in the game. It's just a f- about Alabama's front seven never let them. The Bearcats were maybe a little bit too conservative. They kicked field goals instead of going for it on fourth down. They didn't tack Alabama's suspected secondary nearly enough in part due to that unforgiving Crimson Tide pass rush. But I, I think I think they're going to have to be considered every year until they're part of it and they will be considered. So it's just my take. Yeah, I definitely agree that that I think that Luke Fickle will keep them, you know, good enough to compete for the playoffs every year. I just don't know if the committee will give them another chance unless, unless like, their out-of-conference opponents are all, you know, top-tier teams like if they're able to you know beat a Notre Dame again maybe they're able to go you know play like a Penn State and beat them or a Michigan or maybe even you know an Ohio State like something like that like beat some out of conference teams that people are like okay wow those teams were teams we were thinking about being in the playoffs anyway and you were able to beat them so maybe you deserve to be in that conversation but I guess you know a question that wasn't really on our our list for you but you know another another head coach in Luke Fickle do you think Cincinnati is is a team that, that he wants to stay with, you know what I mean, for the totality of his career? Or do you think if something else, you know, opens up and maybe a program that's in a bigger, you know, Power 5 conference with a little bit more money, do you think that he, you know, moves to that team? Or, like I said, do you think that he stays here in Cincinnati and builds a program that is consistently competing for the playoffs every year? I think, yeah, he'll he'll he'll, he'll dip out depending on how the next three years or so go, if he continues to have, you know, undefeated seasons and marquee wins, I don't see why bigger named colleges, you know, that are, will offer him a more lucrative deal 
when it all comes down to it, it is all about the money. It's all about taking care of your family, taking care of your livelihood. And you know, if you can say, I can do the exact same job making X amount of money, but this team is going to pay me Z amounts of money. And I'm going to do, I'm doing the same job. I'm coaching football. I don't think any has any hardcore ties to Cincinnati that I'm aware of. So I, I don't see anything keeping him there. See, I think, I think the opposite. I think he's going to stay in Cincinnati for a long time only because he's waiting for his dream job to open up. And that's, that's getting another shot at being the head coach at Ohio state. I think that that's something that kind of haunts him when he was given the opportunity to be the interim head coach. And it was not, I don't think it went as well as everybody wanted it to go, especially him. So I think he's going to stay there in Cincinnati. I think he's going to build that, that program. I think he's going to take them into the big 12. I think they're going to continue to be successful and with the way that he's able to recruit, you know, in the Midwest, especially in Ohio um, and then the surrounding states, I think that he's going to win some key battles, you know, against, you know, for some players that are kind of thinking about going to Ohio State, Michigan or Penn State. And I think he's only going to continue to get better. But I think the only job that he would leave, leave Cincinnati for is that Ohio State head coaching job. So that's just kind of my opinion behind that. What do you think about that? Do you think that that would be something, you know, legacy wise? that would be good for his legacy? Or do you think, like you said, it's just about the paycheck? I'm not saying that he's a greedy individual by any means, you know, any sense of the word. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, I think he had his opportunity at Ohio State. And if that opportunity came up, it would be 10, 12 years down the road for him. I just don't see it being something that when Ryan Day moves on, Luke Fickle comes in. I just, I, I, I would see other teams that possibly would want him and a higher caliber if if he continues to develop and grow. We, you know, it's all subjective to what we're talking about because he could have he could tank the next four seasons and then be out of a job in Cincinnati and be coaching in Poughkeepsie, New York, a high school football team. We don't know, you know. So um, with Ryan Day, it's a little different story. He's he's got a pedigree, he's got an availability that and a knowledge that that he's a bona fide proven winner. Whereas Ryan Day just had one good season, so it's all conjecture until we can see Ryan Day put up consistent. Winning I think seasons. I think you mean Luke or Fickle. Luke Fickle, I'm sorry, Luke Fickle can put up consistent winning seasons. No, I mean I, I definitely agree that he has to, you know, he has to continue the success in order to be given that opportunity. I just, like I said, I just for my opinion, I think that that's that's the only job that he would really leave Cincinnati for. Um, I just, he doesn't strike me as a guy that would leave for money because if that was the case, he'd be the head coach at Michigan or Penn state right now over the guys that are there. Cause Penn state was looking to get rid of, you know, James Franklin. I don't think they really wanted to keep him around. I don't know if Michigan really wanted to keep Jim Harbaugh around. And there were reports that they were kicking the tire on Luke fickle and they offered him a lot of money because they can, cause they have a lot of money in their programs and he turned them down. So I think that partially has to do with the fact that he really loves coaching at Cincinnati, but I also think that has to do with the fact that he really loves Ohio State, and those were teams that he went to war against playing and coaching. So I don't know. But to kind of move on to the professional football team in Cincinnati, before I uh, get Greg's opinion here on um, on just breaking down the game against the Titans, which is going to be a fun – that's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be an even better game than what, what they had against the Raiders. But – I want to read you a quote, Greg, and I would love for you to tell me who you think said this quote. So the quote says, 
I think that the Bengals, Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase have really solidified what they're doing. They're playing professional football, and it definitely shows. What do you think about that quote, and then who do you think said it? I mean, I, I've actually said this the other day on our Two Minute Drill podcast that the Joe Burrow-Jamar Chase tandem is, is actually finally playing professional football, and I see it. And what's crazy is that, like, at the beginning of the season, I was telling you that they were garbage and that they had some garbage wins. And I think the first six to eight games of the season, they locked out, and, and maybe I'll, I'll eat some crow. I will eat some crow when it comes to this. You know what, you may, know what bugs may, me is that you're doing this and you're stealing my thunder. Because this this is a direct quote from Greg Edge from Team <laughs> Before that I, I was listening to this episode and I was like, wow, this is going to be amazing. Because I finally wanted to ask, you know, are, are you going to eat your crow? Because, you know what I mean? I think and what bugs me, though, is because we're going to have this conversation and then they're going to get blown out by the Titans and you're going to be like, see, I told you all along. <laughs> no, no, I, I will eat crow in this situation uh, that maybe those garbage wins just happen to be uh, quality football playing. And I will give a little bit more credit to Joe Burrow and and team for what they've been able to accomplish. Um, with that being said, I do not think that, that they will, will get past the Titans then this coming week. So, okay. Yeah, I'm... This is a tough one for me because that Titans defense is a lot better than that Raiders defense. I think they were hoping that uh, Crosby would turn into TJ Watt, and he did not. But I think that the Titans defense, like I said, is a lot better. And that Derrick Henry is coming back, and he's he's a bad man. So I, I know that – I don't know if it's confirmed yet, but I can't see why they don't put him in the game. I can't see why he doesn't come back out and play because – I think he's hungry and he wants a championship. And I just, as of right now, I don't see a team in the AFC other than the Bills that can kind of run them, you know, out of the Super Bowl. So, you know what I mean? But on the flip side, Ryan Tannehill is not a gunslinger and Joe Burrow is. And he has proven time and time again that he will lead them to big victories. You know what I mean? I just, I don't want to count them out. You know, I'm not the biggest Bengals fan. Obviously, everybody knows that I'm a Steelers fan. And there is the, you know, that rivalry that comes there, but I can respect when, when they are good. And I think this team is good. I don't know if they're Super Bowl good, but they are a young team that is growing every single week. And I, I don't, I don't think that this is going to be a blowout. I think it'll be a shootout. And I think it's going to come down to whichever quarterback um, can orchestrate the best last final draft. Well, my take is that the both teams, the Titans and the Bengals, are national championship caliber teams. Oh, wow. And by that, I mean that through both teams, they have a total of, I believe, nine players from LSU that were on the 2019 LSU national championship team. A good team. So, so that's a great team. So, yeah. uh, and on the flip side, I'm I'm not sure who the corner is for. Um, titans but you know this will be the first time of him going against his former qb you know what i mean like and the only time he ever really went against him was during practice squad type things so you know this is the 77th matchup between the two and this goes back to when they were called the houston oilers the titans have the overall advantage with a 40 and 35 record over between the Bengals. last time they met in 2020 though the, the cincinnati did beat the, bank, uh, the Titans 31 to 20. 
So this will be the second playoff meeting between the two franchises. And we go back to all the way back to 1990 for that to happen. So obviously uh, with what. It's a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago when there were the Houston Oilers. And so, I mean, obviously Joe Burrow has shown that he can eliminate some ghosts with this, mm-hmm. you know, not being a playoff win since 31 years ago or so. I think a lot of it has to do with Derrick Henry if he's going to come back. But even if he does come back, he's going to have to be taking a breather. He's going to have to – he's not going to be coming back full tilt. No, no. And but, and maybe Dante Foreman is a good backup, but he's not He's not Derrick Henry. So, But the thing is with the Titans, and this is – you know you know me, and I'm a statistic guy, and so this is what I look at. One is says Titans are the healthiest they've been all season, and they thrive on – long rest when the tennessee titans have eight or more days in between games in the mike vrabel era the team is a perfect eight and oh so that's a big mountain to climb for the Bengals. yeah i don't know you know i don't i know a lot of people a lot of people have compared burrow to brady and i'm not going to say that burrow's going to have the same you know career set success as as brady has but i think when you look at like his demeanor it's more than just brady it's like when you look at the way that like Elway played or Favre played, you know, Marino played, Peyton played, like they just go out there and nothing, nothing rattles them. They don't really care what's going on. They're just out there to figure you out and destroy you. And he has that. And I don't think we've seen a quarterback that has that, you know, in a while, you know, I think a lot of people rave about Mahomes talent, but he, he gets rattled. I just I don't think that Burrow does. I mean, he's out there putting his life on the line every single play, even though he just went through, you know, a gruesome injury, you know, the year prior. And I just think that 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 is going to be what's good enough if they win this game. That's what's going to push them, you know, over the finish line with this game. And I think that's what will be good enough to, you know, propel them further and further as the years go on. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of go back to that interview when he was wearing those those sunglasses and the interviewer asked him, you know, is there anything special about him? And he go in the straight face. He's just like, no, they're just sunglasses. He is just having fun and he does not care. And we're living in his world. You know what I mean? And I think going forward, it's going to be really fun watching him. It's going to really suck because he's on the Bengals, but <laughs> um, it's going to be really fun watching. Him. So moving on though, I did, you know, want to get Greg opinion on the lockout and how it was affecting the reds and the guardians obviously greg you know hosts our on deck show which is our you know our baseball show there and he's been really kind of researching this and looking at this and i'm sure when the next episode of on deck comes out he'll kind of go a little bit more in depth on it but i did want to get his opinion on how it is affecting our you know ohio professional baseball team so i'll let greg take it over from here i mean the biggest impact that this lockout is having on the guardians and the reds is roster moves and transactions and if you don't know about the lockout and what the baseball lockout has been doing with major league baseball and the major league baseball players association is that all free agent players not signed to a roster at the time will not be able to do so until the cba is agreed upon 
It also means that contract extensions and negotiations, waiving players, releasing players, optioning players, and trading players cannot occur. Teams will not be permitted to communicate with players at all. So you can't talk to teams, can't talk to their players, nor will players be permitted to seek any injury treatment or rehab from the team's physicians, which is a big thing. I think for anybody rehabbing anybody with an injury, that they're going to have, they're going to have to go to their own doctor and not the doctor that is a baseball doctor. And, and that that's a weird kind of thing because any, well, any like, doctor's a doctor, but yeah, it's doctors that the team pays for. Yeah. I mean, Cause you got to think a lot of those fringe roster guys, they're not really probably making as much as the big stars. So if they have an injury that's looming and they got to go pay for that, that's, that's yeah, rough. it's coming out of your pocket when you're you're not making maybe that you're making the league minimum. Uh, additionally, you're not insured either because you're probably insured with the team. But if you're not a part of the league anymore because the CBA isn't agreed upon, do you have health insurance to the league anymore. I would have to look that up, but I would see. I would assume that they would have health insurance based upon uh, an employer just because you're not you are in, still employed. You just cannot. Okay negotiate or talk to the team it's a it's a weird yeah that's a lot of different layers but going back to it additionally the lockout means that major league rule five draft which allows teams without a full 40-man roster to select certain non-40-man roster players from other clubs and salary arbitration on hold that kind of to make that make more a little sense they can't try to pick some guys that maybe aren't going to get picked up by another team and say hey we're going to at least hey we're interested in you and we're going to give you this little thing to try to see if you're going to work for our team. So if we talk about the guardians, the biggest impact to the guardians and the Cleveland is that there's seven players facing arbitration, Shane Bieber, Franmil Riaz, Ahmed Rosario, Bradley Zimmer, Cal Quantrill, Austin Hedges, and Josh Naylor. Um, so they're, they've offered them, they've tendered them, contracts but they're they can't sign them yet so that's the whole thing and it's been this weird thing where like all of a sudden like a month after the lockout you see all these players that all of a sudden were like they signed a contract i thought they couldn't and they're like oh no they signed the contracts before the lockout we just didn't announce it till now so (laughs) i don't know if that's fudging some numbers or fudging some dates and some contracts but whatever you know i'll give it to them finding a constructive and you know uh fun way of of signing their guys so that they don't have to do it on the reds side of it it we've talked about this a million times the reds just don't pay any money so i don't think this affects the reds at all i think it's just whatever they don't care good another off season (laughs) yeah another off season i don't have to pull i don't have to pay my my office staff that's that's exactly like what i thought about it would be I had to look this up and I was like, it's just the Reds not having to pay their office staff now because yeah. nobody's in the, in, so it's just, I'm saving money now. Like, that's, look at me. Yeah, I, know. I saved like, oh, a couple. Wow, we're, we're really in the green this month. <laughs> I saved a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> like, but it does mean that Sonny Gray, Tyler Mayo, Luis Castillo will remain in red, Reds uniforms for now. But that also means that free agents like Nick uh, Castillo's, uh, as Drubal Cabrera, I always have a hard time saying his name, and Michael Givens will not be able to sign with other teams that they're the free agents. So that's in a nutshell. It really comes down to roster moves and transactions, having to pay people. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess 
Have you heard anything about this being resolved soon, or do you think this is going to affect the season? The last time they even met slightly was over a month ago, easily or a month more than a month ago, and I don't see it. You might see some movement, some traction come February and March. You know when players should necessarily start um, showing up for spring training because it's going to come down to money and the teams need to make money the major league baseball needs to make money and so a a complete season lockout um no nobody wants that but and we've talked about this in um on deck so i don't know if i'll explain a little bit more too is that players aren't necessarily tendered um they make league minimums until they get to a certain amount of seasons in major league baseball and that usually happens when they hit about 30 and then they start their league minimums start to go up unless you're like a rock star superstar. And then, you know, obviously you're making millions, but what major league baseball's players association is trying to say that we need to up these league minimums and these bonuses and stuff like that. So these younger guys that are only might be able to only have five or six years in, you know, if you're coming into major leagues and you're 21, 22 and you don't quite hit 30 or so, with like you know 10 years in the league then you might not be getting you making the league minimum the entire year i yeah i was a professional baseball but and didn't pay me any money you know i paid for my house and my car my you know like like that but it didn't pay me what i could have been making and that's what the kind of the argument has been right now so even with the 1990 lockout i believe you know we had you know half season so I don't think Major League Baseball is going to balk at this. I think that a lot of we saw that what happened with that particular lockout before is that the fans turned against Major League Baseball, not the teams, but Major League Baseball. And they said, you know, we want we want our entertainment and you're just a greedy sons of bitches. And, you know, so I think that's yeah. what it comes down to. I mean, like, I guess to play devil's advocate, I can understand why why they wouldn't want to up the minimum because i mean you said it the majority of the players in major league baseball make the minimum but because i guess if you up that then then how do you how do you hand out these big life-changing like contracts that people have gotten you know what i mean at the top because then how do you justify that because then you're like well okay i could pay you know i have to pay my starting pitcher you know give him a 10-year deal that's worth 600 million dollars because that's what the market you know what i mean says that i have to pay him but how the heck am i supposed to pay the other you know 60 or some players on my roster the minimum when like literally all the money that i have set aside for each season is going to be three or four players so i mean i I get that too you know what i mean i think i think it's happened a lot of professional sports they've let the top guys kind of get away with taking a lot of money and you know, I understand the market, you know, says that they deserve that, but it's kind of crazy when you think about, you know, quarterbacks making $50 million a year or, you know, NBA players making $50 million a year or a starting pitcher in the MLB, they're probably right around like $50, $60 million a year now if you're if you're one of the top guys. So it's definitely interesting. Kind of have and- and they've made some efforts, Major League Baseball, at least in the minor league aspect of it. Um, they're now paying for uh, housing and I believe like room and board type of stuff. So they're giving them housing stipends. Mm-hmm. So that 
allows them to start saving money earlier. Well, they can they can put more money into themselves to develop. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of people don't realize how much time, effort, and money that is that players spend of that contract money in order to better themselves. I mean, you look at a player like LeBron James. He spends two-plus million a year of his own – of the money that he earns to better himself. I mean, that's that's why he's been able to stay so successful for so long. I mean – but you can only do that if you get money, which I understand that as well, too. You know, what I mean, you got to you got to be able to get paid so you can live. So definitely an interesting topic. I won't hit on it too much because, like I said, I'm sure that Greg will kind of go more in depth on his next episode of On Deck. But I just kind of wanted to get his opinion on how that, you know, affects our teams here in Ohio. So but to finish off the episode, I did want to kind of talk about the Cavs. Obviously, the All-Star game is coming up. The All-Star voting is happening, you know, as of right now. And I wanted to see if he thought anybody, you know, on our home team Cavs deserve to be in the um, all-star game, or I should say on the all-star team. So what do you got, Greg? Two potentials, uh, Garland and Allen. I mean, is there room for both? I don't know. Garland's up against DeMar DeRozan of the Bulls, and he's he's just you know, been lights out this entire yeah. season. And, you know, he's also up against Trey Young, James Harden, Zach Levine, Fred Van Fleet, LaMelo Ball, Jalen Brown. Bradley Beal. Uh, so, you know, I think when it comes down to it, and I, you know, this, I'll explain this in a little bit, but he's ninth in the voting for the fan voting returns. Uh, Trey Young sat at second. DeMar DeRozan was first. Um, Levine and Harden were third and fourth. Um, so, as a reminder, fans only count for 50% of the voting of, to de- determine the starters. Uh, current NBA players and a panel of media members make up the other 50% with a 25% share. And then obviously the league's head coaches choose the reserves. So I'll put this is that DeRozan's in. I just don't know if Garland will be able to get there. As far as Jared Allen goes, there are six guaranteed front court spots. There could be as much as eight. Um, The starters are, basically simple when it comes down to this you've got uh durant Giannis, joel and um even if durant needs injury replacement there's no way that they should necessarily keep him off the like initial roster if that, if that makes sense so yeah. that means six maybe in the final comes down to allen uh sevenos uh middleton uh Adebayo and bridges so it's a potential i just don't know if both, but I think at least one will get in, and I'm I'm probably going more with Jared Allen on that aspect than Garland. So we'll see. Yeah, I I think I agree. I want to say that Garland is playing the best on the team, but like you said, when you kind of look at that the front court as they would call it, I think that you know Allen has a better chance just because of the people that he's going up against. But when you talk about the top fifty players, you know, in each category stat category that I felt was most important we talk about points steals minutes assists rebounds and then efficiency there was only three that had somebody outside of Darius Garland you know what I mean in there so Garland is 25th in points per game right now he's 31 uh, 31st in steals per game he's 19th in minutes per game he's sixth in assists per game and then he's 36 in efficiency now he's not in the top 50 for rebounds but Allen is eighth Mobley is 32nd and Love is 44th and then Allen is 12th in efficiency, and Mobley is 43rd. And then Mobley is 25th in minutes per game. 
So I think that when you look at that efficiency, you know, rating Allen being 12th and then him being eighth in rebounds, I think that's really what's going to kind of help him. And like you said, with Durant, he's not going to play in the game, but he's going to get, you know, he's going to get like the, oh, you were an all-star starter. He'll be drafted. And then, you know what I mean? He'll be replaced by somebody on the bench and then they'll replace that person on the bench. And I think Allen could be that person that kind of steps in and replaces. I just don't think that anybody from the Cavs this year is going to be, you know, I guess if you want to call them a a first ballot (laughs) all-star player. Um, but that's nothing to take away from what they've done this season. I, I think a lot of people will kind of call that hate, but I think that they've done more as a collective unit than they have done as individuals this year. And I think that showed they're one of the top teams in defense. They consistently compete against some of the better teams in the East and they've, they've won some, they've lost some, they're a young team, but I just think that as of right now, there's no one on that team that's really kind of standing out as, you know, the guy that's going to be forward there's just a bunch of really good solid dudes on that team and I just don't know if that means that they're ready to be all-star but I do agree that Jared Allen probably has the best chance only because Darius Garland has to go up against all those guards that you were talking about and I just don't think he's with everyone that's in front of him especially when you talk about DeRozan you talk about Ball you talk about Bradley Beal um, Jalen Brown like the list goes on and I just think that that he's just not going to get in over one of those guys he might get in for one of them like if one of them can't play or opts out he might be able to get in as like you know what I mean and, and, and add in like I said it not not a first ballot all-star vote in but that is that is the show we're gonna end it off with our uh double take segment here and I'll uh I'll let Greg go ahead and start it off well I'm I'm doubling down on my uh prediction from last uh episode and obviously a little bit of time but i'm gonna double down on the fact that the olympics which should start february 3rd i think that covid is uh, running so rampant that it's going to affect a lot more than a lot of people think and i think that you know i'm not necessarily saying that it's going to be canceled but i think that there are going to be a lot of players and said coaches and said uh, athletes that may be opting out and or deciding um to limit their availability so i think that this is going to affect the let me say how can i say this it's going to affect the popularity of this uh, particular olympics and i think that viewership is going to be at an all-time low so my prediction i guess is that this is going to be the least viewed olympics in many many a decade yeah i could see that happening i mean i think we've already the U.S. has already kind of pulled out of a couple of events already. So I don't know. That'll be interesting. We'll kind of have to see going forward. But, yeah, I mean, if, if a lot of people are going to pull out, then the the product is kind of going to diminish. You know what I mean? Then how do you kind of judge it if a lot of the top talent isn't in it? So that'll be interesting. For my one thing that I think will happen in the sporting world over the next two weeks, I think by the next time that we meet, so the Bengals are going to play the Titans this week. I think that the Bengals will have beat the Titans. And then I think that we'll be doing a recap of a Titans versus Bills AFC championship. Because I think by the time we meet, the AFC championship game will already be played. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to put a prediction on that one. But I do think that the Bengals get to the AFC championship. And I, like I said, I think we'll be doing a recap of the, the Bengals versus Bills. And I think that'll be a fun game as well to watch. So that's my prediction for the next two weeks. All right, Greg, what's your one crazy thing you got? You always got something fun. 
I love parks. Parks are my like favorite thing to go do. But my favorite park of all time got demolished a couple a couple you know months ago. Uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago or so. But it got it got rebuilt, and so I'm really happy about it. You know, after they demolished it due to some some road work and stuff like that, it got rebuilt. So Mill End Park, a tiny patch of green in the median of Portland's Natio Parkway, that received its first plans and named uh, an Oregon's journal reporter Dick Fagans in 1946, became a global famous landmark as the world's smallest park when it received national recognition and Guinness Book of World Records in 1971. The park, which measures two feet wide and total surface and a total area of 452 square inches, bears a new sign with a cloverleaf park holder. So it got rebuilt. The smallest park in history got rebuilt. So it's, where is it? In Oregon. In Oregon. You should go visit this park. How, how big did you say it was? It is a total of two feet wide, so it's basically just one plant, uh, 452 square inches. Uh, Port, Portland's Park and Recreation said officials are hoping to hold a rededication ceremony in the near future. Huh. That is the smallest park I've ever seen. Smallest park. <laughs> kind of a little off topic, but there there used to be a park when I went to college, and, and, Dom, and Dom and David would probably be like, oh my God, he's talking about this park again. But they called it a park, but it was it wasn't a park. It was literally like it was this it, it kind of had levels and it went down into the ground and then there was a fountain and then it had some benches. But like it, it probably had maybe like triple the amount of green space that the smallest park, you know, in the world had. But they called it a park. I was like, that's not a park. It's more of like a seating area or like like I, I don't know. Like to me, it just I, I guess it's phenomenal what you could call a park like. I, can I call my living room a park? What what qualifies as a park? I just, I don't know. I mean, as long as you get the Parks and Recreation, you know, committee to to approve it. I mean, I don't know if you get the type of people that were on the Parks and Recs TV show to, you know, they'll approve anything. So maybe your garden could be a, a, a park. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I could rant all day about parks, but... I don't know. That's, that's that's a sad thing to see you could rant all day about, bro. Listen, I, I I get I get frustrated with the small things. You know, I guess that's just that's my one thing. Everybody who knows me, the small things they get me. You know, whether that's you know driving on the road, whether that's cement parks. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, they just it just didn't make sense. I guess the other thing that didn't make sense to me was, and I don't know, I won't give any spoilers away just in case, in case anybody wants to watch it. And I won't say anything crazy so we don't get sued or anything. But I just watched a new Scream movie because my, uh, my wife wanted to go. She wanted to go watch this movie, you know what I mean? Because she's huge into the Scream franchise. Probably, you know, just as invested as I am with the whole Marvel stuff and everything. You know, we, we kind of talk about, like, disappointing parks. And, and I just kind of was disappointed with the movie. You know what I mean? I, I think if you're a fan of the Scream movies, you probably already watched it. And maybe maybe you'll hate me for saying it. But I don't know. It just wasn't a good, it just really wasn't that good of a movie. Obviously, you know, it lived up to the whole, you know, jump scare, slasher, flick or whatever, but every other part of it just kind of sucked. The acting was really subpar. Kind of just felt like they were like, here you go. Here's a movie. We kind of half, we kind of half-assed it. But yeah, it wasn't very crazy, but I just, I don't know. I had something else, but then I watched that movie earlier and it kind of disappointed me because I've seen a lot of good movies recently and that one, just did not live up to the hype, unfortunately. So, 
But anytime you tune into a higher verse, you can hear me rant about parks or, you know, people driving bad. You can hear Greg talk about stories of cows and, you know what I mean? You even get the occasional uh, movie reviews. We do it all here at Ohioverse, but thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we're super excited about doing this episode for every week. And listen to our one-year anniversary episode. We put a lot of work into that. Um, we would not be here without you guys, especially after one year. And we are planning a lot of big things going forward. We're going to do a lot of fun stuff. So keep tuning in. Tell your friends to tune in. And uh, we'll keep uh, producing some awesome content for you guys. But this was Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one.